0: We're continuing in First Thessalonians today. We're actually going to do the first 16 verses of Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, but as we go into this time today, I just want to refresh your brain on a couple things. What is the vision of Revolve? In other words, why does Revolve exist? Why does Revolve exist? Anybody know? Oh, yeah, way to go. The vision of Revolve. Listen, churches are, I don't know, there's lots of vision statements you can get from different churches, but by, uh, by the design of God and the command of God, churches are called to be single-issue organizations or organisms. You could put it that way as well. Simply stated, churches, and including Revolve, exist to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the whole world hears. That's God's purpose in his family. Be fruitful and multiply. Make babies, spiritual babies, okay? So the goal is the glorification of God. That is the goal. We glorify God with our lives as we're called to do. We glorify God in the, the smallness of our families as we love our spouses and our kids well. We glorify God in the community of the church as we love one another and we love God together. That is the goal. And the primary way that we, that we glorify God is by loving him and loving others, and that turns into making disciples. Because disciples are defined as people who obey Jesus. And Jesus says, if you obey me, you love me. And so we glorify God by making disciples so that his fame is spread to every corner of the earth. And we do that until the whole world hears or until Jesus comes back. That is essentially the task before us. And so that's why Revolve exists. What about me? Why does Bill exist, or why do the other elders exist? Why does the leadership of the church exist? Well, according to Ephesians chapter 4, we exist to equip you for the work of the ministry, not for us to do the work of the ministry, but to equip you to do the work of the ministry, which is making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Our job is to disciple you so that you mature, to equip you, to disciple others so that they mature. You see, all of the framework for this in the scriptures is a family, a family tree. And like a family, you have kids, you help them to grow up. They have kids, they help them to grow up. They have kids, they help them to grow up. And so by design, we're supposed to be one big dysfunctional family. So what is a disciple? I keep using this word disciple. Well, simply put, disciple means learner. That's all a disciple really means. Disciples are people who learn and keep learning to be like Jesus and to do what he did by the power and grace of God. In other words, disciples learn to hear and obey King Jesus. That's why Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded when he talks about discipleship in Matthew 28. And so no matter how young you are, little kids, right? No matter how young you are or how old you are, no matter how educated you are or not, no matter how experienced or new, we are always disciples. It isn't like you go through eight weeks and then you've arrived. That's not the way that it works. The process never stops until glory. So then what is discipleship? Well, discipleship is the relational process of helping both Christians and people who are not yet Christians learn to become who Jesus would be if he were them. It is to help other people become like Jesus, to grow into his likeness by the Spirit of God. So discipleship isn't just evangelism. Discipleship isn't just developing people. Discipleship is the whole journey from one end of the spectrum to the other because it's teaching people to follow Jesus, which is a process and a journey. Now, naturally, some people will focus more on evangelism and others on development, but all of this is in the par- in the process of making disciples. And so today, what we want to look at is this simple question— um, how did Paul make disciples? How did Paul make disciples? And so we're going to be reading First Thessalonians chapter 2, first six verses here. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. He just got done, if you weren't here last week, in chapter 1, talking about how God all the, recounting all the ways that he saw the visible changes happening in the Thessalonians and how he knows that they received Jesus in power because their lives transformed. And he was only with them for one month. And in one month, he saw a difference in their lives. And he said, I know that you followed Jesus because I saw you change over the course of that month. And so he can, says in verse 1 For you yourselves know, brothers, our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, which is a nearby city, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or by any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, which is the good news, so we speak the good news, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is describing the posture of his heart as they came out of Philippi, where they got chased out of the city um, after being arrested and threatened and all of these things. And now he's describing the posture and the motivation of his heart as he came to Thessalonica. Okay. And so the question that is addressed in this paragraph is, what do we need? If we want to be disciple makers like Paul, what do we need to be a disciple maker Well, every disciple-maker needs motivation. And so the question is, what is our motivation? You see, because an expectation of fruit, it's not a lasting motivation. Now here, Paul says that our fruit, our worker among you was not in vain. So they saw fruit, but in Philippi, they didn't see a whole lot of fruit because fruit is not always guaranteed. And so the fruit of your labor is not an enduring motivation. Paul saw fruit here, not so much at Philippi. And there were other places where he saw almost nothing. But Paul's motivation isn't rooted in the expectation of fruit. Paul's motivation is rooted in something far deeper. He continued forward despite hardship. He continued forward despite a lack of the fruit that he desired to see. He continued forward not begrudgingly, but with boldness and declared the gospel. You see, if you want to be someone who gives their life to disciple-making, you need to be motivated by the right heart, okay? And what do I mean by that? A heart that seeks to please man, no. A heart that seeks to please God, not man. And that's what Paul is explaining in this paragraph. He's saying, because our heart desires to please God and not man, We're motivated even when there's no fruit. We're motivated even when we get picked on. We're motivated even when we're beaten and we keep on going because my heart's desire is not to please man or not to see fruit or not to, but to please God. And that's what motivated Paul. And that is the only enduring motivation you will find. Paul doesn't make disciples because he's a trickster who's selling snake oil, right? he's not. He has nothing to benefit from showing up and convincing them to follow God. Paul doesn't make disciples because he needs someone to like him. He has like some deep-rooted psychological insecurity. That's not why Paul's here. Paul doesn't make disciples because he needs money, like the prosperity gospel preachers that we see on TV today. Paul makes disciples because he says, I have been entrusted with the gospel, and I want to please God. That's why Paul does what he does. As a former missionary, I can tell you that I have talked with so many missionaries whose story goes something like this. All of my life, I cared about China. I was fascinated with China. I read books about China. I watched Chinese anime. I just should go be a missionary in China, I love the Chinese people. And because I'm a bubble popper, my response would typically be like this. How many Chinese people do you know? Right? And I don't say that because I don't like Chinese people. I say that because I don't like people. (laughs) Right? In other words, if your motivation is just how much you love kids or how much you love whatever, fill in the blank, you obviously have not spent much time with them because people have the capacity to ruin your life. And so the only way that you keep going forward is not because you love this person so much. It's because you are seeking to please God, not man. That is the only enduring motivation. It's the only enduring motivation. And Paul knew that. Paul made disciples because he had been entrusted with the gospel and he wanted to please God. So what do we need? What do I need to be a disciple maker? I need the right motivation. I need a heart that loves God and wants to please God. And when that happens, by the way, he does give us love for other people. That, that does happen. We don't stay curmudgeons forever, Lord willing. We do want others to love him too, though. A heart that knows that I have been entrusted with this precious message realizes this message is too good not to share. Because it's amazing, because God is amazing, not because you are so worthy of the message. Frankly, you're not worthy of the message, and neither am I. But Jesus came to be the message and bring the message so that he could make us into the people he wants us to be. See, this is the thing. There's been so many times over the last nine years when the elders have probably made decisions or not made decisions that you wanted them to make or not wanted them to make. And it is very easy in ministry to just do what everybody wants you to do. But that is rooted in a wrong motivation. Because at the end of the day, when I stand before the Lord, I will not give an account to you, and neither will Steve or Breton or David or Dave or Christian. We will give an account to God as those who shepherded and watched over your souls. We will give an account for every dollar that was spent. We will give an account for every word that was spoken we will give an account for the way that we led you. And so if our motivation is anything less than pleasing God, we are on shaky ground. This is why Jesus said quite clearly in the Gospel of Matthew not to pray to be seen by men or not to give to be seen by men because when you do good works before people, what do they tend to do? They tend to applaud you, right? Right? And what do you think your reward is, according to Jesus? The applause. But that's the only reward you're going to get. So when you give, let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing. We seek to please God. That's the heart of a disciple maker. Why do we do this? Not because Bill told you to or because it's the DNA of Revolve, but because we seek to please God. All right, verses 7 to 12. So now he's going to continue describing his posture. So even though he's saying, we didn't come with flattery, we didn't come, you know, with a pretext for greed, we came boldly among you, but, verse 7, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately gentle, desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of god but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us for you remember brothers our labor and toil we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of god you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So first, in the first section, Paul talked about his motivation. So what's his motivation to pour into people? It's to please God, not to worry about man, to please God. And in this section, he's talking about how does Paul make disciples? How does Paul make disciples? What's really obvious in this passage, discipleship happens most often, how? Relationally, not organizationally. Discipleship, disciple-making happens relationally, not primarily organizationally. What a pickle for a world in 2021 where everything can be streamed on your phone. What's an armchair athlete? Anybody know what an armchair athlete is? Somebody who just is like, you know, they got like chips all over Right, They look like they've never thrown a football a day in their life and they're watching the Super Bowl and critiquing everything the offensive coordinator's deciding. That's an armchair athlete. Well, whatever that equivalence is in terms of Christianity and theology, that's the danger. See, discipleship happens most often relationally, not organizationally, Because discipleship is more than anything about making you like Christ, which is far more an issue of your character...